me a favor and turn to John chapter 12 in your Bibles. I want to talk to you this morning. First of all, I want to present this to you and, uh, you know, just to see where we're at on this thing. Did you guys know that taxes are God's idea? Yeah, you don't like that one. Okay, well, taxes are actually God's idea. It's a kingdom principle. That's what Malachi 3.10 is all about. He said, well, you've robbed from me. And, and we say, well, how did we do that? You didn't pay your taxes. You didn't pay your dues as a citizen of the kingdom of God. The taxes are designed to make sure that there is material supply to make sure that the church runs, to make sure that ministries run, to make sure that there is ample source in the kingdom of God, within the body of God. It was God's idea that's what tithes are, the tenth. That's the taxes. That is what you're expected to contribute, to chip in as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And as a result, the benefits of being a citizen is that he throws open the windows of heaven, that he rebukes the devourer, amen, that he causes everything that you have to succeed and to prosper. That's taxation. Yeah, you're like, oh, man, Jesse, I don't like this one at all. Well, that's too bad. The difference is we need to understand that tithes and offerings are two different things. That tithes are expected as God's ordained system of taxation that we all chip in and we all benefit. Just like in the natural, we pay our taxes. Now, don't get it. Now, don't get it. Now, I'm saying we're supposed to be able to benefit from being a citizen. We all chip in and we all have public education. We all have the roads. We have, now, now, don't get on. Now, you understand what I'm saying? Don't get all sideways on me. The issue is man has corrupted the taxation system. All right? So God's system cannot be corrupted. God's idea was taxation. It was confirmed with Joseph in Egypt. Joseph just reintroduced the system of taxation. It was God's plan. But I want to show you the difference between taxation and offerings. Amen? So in John chapter 12, verse 24, now Jesus is speaking about the manner of his death but we can use this uh, due to the law of dual reference. He says, Verily I say unto you, except a, cor a corn of wheat, now this is King James, fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. Now, of course, he's talking about he's going to be the first one to be sown and raised from death so that there were, he was the firstborn among many. Somebody had to do it first. Amen. Amen. So God sowed Christ in faith. God sowed seed. God sowed Christ in faith. And Christ was brought forth in a great harvest of much fruit. That's what we are. The fruit, the harvest. The seed, unless it is sown, will die alone. Okay? So, in the case of your money... You sow seed. This is a spiritual law set forth in the beginning. God said as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. Talking about the seed sown will bring forth fruit. It will. Every seed that is sown brings back a multitude of seeds in its likeness. There's sowing and harvest. That's what harvest means. Amen. So the tithe is our tax that we pay as citizens but we sow seed in faith so that it produces much fruit. Amen. I only get about two head nods. I know you guys don't like that, but it's too bad. We keep fighting against spiritual laws. Spiritual laws that cannot be bent. They cannot be manipulated. They cannot be corrupted. It is it's it. It's law. You sow so that your seed can die to itself and bring forth much fruit. The offering is the seed from your material source. You sow that seed so that it can die. You want your kingdom to die so that it will bring forth the fruit of the kingdom of God. You can look around this place and see that every seed that's been sown in faith has brought forth much fruit. This beautiful building, all the people that continue to come and be a part of this ministry. You look at the children's ministry. You look at the missions all around the world. You look at the Bible college, the school that we have here. That's fruit. 
The taxes are for maintenance. The offering is for fruit. Amen. So if you're sowing your tithe, you think you're paying tithes and you're going to get breakthrough in your finances, you're fighting against a spiritual law. You're expected to pay your dues as a citizen of God, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and you can expect to reap the benefits of a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so that he rebukes the devourer from everything that you have. Amen. He throws open, he has thrown open the windows of the kingdom of heaven so that you can't even contain how much. If you want breakthrough in your finances, you will have to sow seed in order to bring forth harvest. There has to be a sacrifice, a death. There has to be a planting in order to bring forth harvest. Isn't that right? And the Apostle Paul echoes that when he writes to the church at Corinth and says that God gives seed unto the sower. Your tithe and your seed are two different things. All right? You guys get that? All right. It's clear you don't like it, but that's too bad. Amen. I'm trying to help you. I really am trying to help you. All right. So with that being said, while you're wrestling with that, I want to make you aware of all the ways, the opportunities that there are here to both pay your kingdom taxes and sow seed in faith in order to produce harvest for the kingdom of God, the glory of God, not for your personal gain, but for the glory of God. And God says, if you do this, all these things will be added unto you. Amen. God is unimaginably, fabulously wealthy. We have access to everything that God owns, which is everything. So how much more wealthy can you get? You want to sow seeds so that you can bring glory to God and it bears much fruit. The harvest, the multitude, multiplication, compounding. Amen. Hallelujah. So there are multiple ways that you can do that. If you want to give by cash or check, there are envelopes in the seat back in front of you. If you want to uh, just throw some cash in the bucket, then we'll let you do that. We have a text to give number. Now, this is not hard to do. There's actually instructions on how to do it. You dial that number on the two part. You put that to, which, where? To, that number. And then you text to that number, give. And then you save it under giving, Lake Church, tithe, offering, however you like it. But it's super simple. Also, if you're watching online, then make sure to go to lake-church.com and follow the giving prompts, and we'll make sure that every dollar goes to where you've allocated it to go. There is an opportunity to specifically sow seed in order to bring harvest, and that comes in the form of the DR Van Dominican Republic. We want to sow seed so that harvest can be reaped in the Dominican in the form of a van so that those guys down there in their ministry can bring more and more people to the knowledge of God. Amen? So take your offering in your hand. If you're not giving physically, we can still raise it up to the Lord symbolically, and we'll pray over it together as the ushers stand. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to sow seed in faith. Holy Spirit, we thank you for progressive revelation into this truth. We thank you that we no longer wrestle against this law. We no longer uh, come up against this wall, Father, but we cooperate with your spiritual laws, Father, and the result is we see how good you already are, Father. In Jesus' name, I speak a blessing over each one here, and Father, we receive the word about to come in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Lake Church. Good to see everybody this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 1. Starting a new series this morning. And uh, we're going to be talking about authority issues. Everybody loves to talk about authority. Um, so, anyways, this, the Lord's been stirring this in my heart. We were talking earlier today in the 9 o'clock service about how that... Uh, Heaven is not a destination for the believer. I'm just going to warn you up front. I'm getting ready to kick over some of y'all's sacred cows, but I'm going to do it for your benefit because they need to be kicked over so that we can actually partake of what this word tells us belongs to us. I can tell you're excited about that. We are going <laughs> to... See, we are dealing with hundreds of years of unbelief, and you know, the crazy thing about us is it's come through the church. The devil has caused 
religion to be preached through the church rather than the true message of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Heaven is not just a destination for the believer. Heaven is an influence. The kingdom of heaven is an influence that Jesus died to get in you so that he could get it through you and so that the earth would be impacted by the kingdom of heaven through the body of Christ. In fact, you know, Jesus, when he, um, when he uh, was with his disciples, they came to him one day and they, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm not going to do the whole Lord's Prayer, but one thing that he said was to pray, your kingdom come. He didn't say pray that you will go to heaven. He said pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh my goodness, most believers' idea that the gospel is all about us leaving earth and going to heaven. Oh my goodness. You know, heaven is a reality for the believer, but it wasn't God's original intent. In fact, if you understand correctly, when believers go to heaven in the rapture, seven years later, they're coming back to earth. Okay, so God's intent was never for us to be in heaven. Adam was not created in heaven. Adam was created on earth. And Adam was never promised to go to heaven. Adam was never promised to go to heaven. Adam was commissioned by God to bring heaven to earth. Okay, so I want to, just with that in mind, I want to think about, this is what I've been reflecting on lately, is what are the results in my life concerning God's intent for, for heaven to be influenced in earth through me? So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I have been looking at my life. You know, how many of you over the last couple of years, the church has experienced a lot of things? A lot of things have been coming against the church in the last couple of years. And not just the church, but the world. But here's the thing. The church is supposed to have a different response and a different experience than the world is. And so with all of these things that are coming upon the earth, I've been examining how are, what are the results in my life in response to those things? Am I getting the results that I'm supposed to get according to what God has declared in his word? And if not, why? Man, I tell you what, we need to get honest and humble about what's going on in our life. You know, church is really a place where people try to present that they've got it all together and we, we try to present this, this front like I got it all figured out. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is our standard. Jesus is our standard. Our life is supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. So until we're getting the results that Jesus got, we all need to admit <laughs> that none of us have arrived. And that's what I hope to to help do uh, in this series is to help us to first of all take an honest and humble assessment of where we're at and then make the adjustments that we need to make to where we start getting the results that this word declares that we're supposed to get and the first thing we need to understand is that God's intent was that he would impact the earth that heaven would impact the earth through mankind so turn to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 this is the very beginning. This is right after God has created the heavens and the earth. He created the plant kingdom. He created the animal kingdom. And everything is finished. After everything was finished, he created man and put him here for a purpose. And so that original purpose that God created man for is, is stated right here in these verses. It says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion. That word dominion is a Hebrew word that means kingdom. It means the domain of a king. Adam, mankind was created to be king over all the earth. It said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, 
over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So there in those verses we see God's original intent for man was that he would be king, that he would have authority, and that he would be ruler over the earth. Not going to heaven, but that he would bring the influence of heaven into the earth. See, God's original plan was not that he would directly rule the earth, but he would indirectly rule the earth through sons and daughters made in his image and in his likeness, who he gave the authority to rule on the earth. That word subdue means to uh, bring under your control by force. It means to bring under the control of by force. Other places that it's used in the Bible is talking about military conquest. It's talking about going into another nation, defeating it, and then occupying it militarily. That's what we were commanded to do by God is to subdue the earth and to have dominion and to rule on earth as kings in this life not be ruled over not be subject to everything that comes against us but that we would dominate and subdue every problem every circumstance every strategy of the enemy that comes against our life that we would rise up in the authority of God and we would subdue it and bring it under our control amen we know the story that Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent Eve was deceived. The Bible, you know, we like to blame Eve, but Eve was deceived. The Bible says Adam disobeyed God. So he consciously, knowing what he was doing, sided with the enemy against the kingdom of God. So rather than subduing, he submitted. Rather than subduing, he was submitting to another kingdom. He was a traitor. That's what a traitor does. They side with the enemy against their home country. And so Adam submitted to the enemy. He abdicated his responsibility. You know, all he would have had to do is just take authority over the serpent and cast him out of the garden, and that would have been over. Boy, don't we wish he would have done that. <laughs> the thing I want you to understand is First of all, power and authority are not the same thing. Power is ability to act. Okay, power is the ability to act. Authority is the right to act. Authority is the right to execute something. But I'll take it even further. Authority is not just the right, it's the responsibility to act. So let me ask you this question. Whose responsibility was it to resist the serpent? It was Adam's, yeah. God had given him authority. So when God gave him authority, he actually gave him the responsibility to subdue any enemy that came along presenting something that was contrary to God's will on the earth. But he abdicated his responsibility. He sided with the enemy. And he gave up what God had promised to him, which was the ability to have authority and to rule and dominate the earth. See, what we're going to have to come to the conclusion of is that it's not God's responsibility to bring his will to pass in our life. That's a convenient theology. Because if it's God's responsibility, then it's not mine. And if he wills it, he'll just do it. If he wants it, he'll just make it happen. 
But that's not the truth. The truth is God has given us authority on the earth. And so when we're not seeing things going the way that they should go or the way that God has declared them to go, we can't say, well, we put that on God or we put that on the devil. No, we need to let the responsibility rest squarely where it belongs, which is on the shoulders of the church, the body of Christ, the people who God authorized to subdue and have dominion on the earth. You know, there's a, there's a teaching in the body of Christ. It's a sovereignty doctrine. God is sovereign, and he controls everything that happens. And that is a false doctrine. It's not true. God does not control everything that happens. God, I'll, I'll just say this, in his sovereignty, God chose to give the authority to people. And when he did, he limited his own authority on earth through his word. God limited his own ability to interfere in the affairs of earth when he declared that authority on earth was given to man. So all of the wars, all of the murder, all the horrible things that have happened on the earth, people look at that and they say, well, how could we have a good God? Because look at all that's going on. Listen, it's not God. If you believe it's God's responsibility or that God wills everything that's going on on the earth today, then he sure got the earth in a big mess. But I'll tell you, it's because God gave authority to man and we have not cooperated with God's will. We have not taken our authority. We have not taken our place of responsibility and caused the heaven to influence earth to the degree that God intended it to. Amen. We, we sided with and we cooperated with an enemy who wanted to stop God's influence in the earth and bring another influence into the earth. <clears throat> you know, here's the thing, that Jesus' death and burial and resurrection was to give us back the ability to exercise our authority on earth over the enemy and to rule and reign in life as kings. Amen? You know, we, we have got to quit blaming God for stuff that the devil's doing. We got to quit blaming God for the things that the devil's doing, and we got to quit blaming God for our lack of results. We got to quit putting uh, the responsibility on God for things he gave us the authority to take care of. You know, in... Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says that he has blessed us with every. Everybody say every. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So do you know it's wrong to pray, God bless me? Because he already has. <laughs> um, if God has declared that he has already blessed you, then if you ask him to bless you, what's he going to do with that? He's actually going to say, well, you really need to read the book and discover that I have already blessed you. See, our, the lack of results are never on God's end. They're always on our end. I remember about a month ago, I had one of the brothers come up to me and he was talking to me. He said, man, he said, I have been, you know, praying and believing God for a situation in my life to change and it just I didn't see the manifestation of it and I said uh, yeah and he said uh, what do you think the problem was and I said well I don't know what the problem was but I know it wasn't on God's end <laughs> and people don't really like to hear that because they say oh well you're saying it's my fault that's exactly what I'm saying yeah <laughs> My, my lack of results of seeing God's will come to pass in my life is never on his end because he's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You know, in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, God has given, that's present tense, God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So if he's already given us everything, what is there left for him to give us? You know, the very fact, I could tell that people are just loving this. 
Because one thing this culture doesn't like is taking responsibility. And especially in the church. You know, but um, if I say that I need something that God's already given me, it's just a statement of unbelief. It just proves that I don't believe that he's already given it to me. <laughs> so you say, well, how did he give it if, I don't, if I'm not experiencing it? Well, here's what happened. God already moved on behalf of every person in Christ. Every person in Christ has already received. So listen, when you get born again, you become a new creation. You receive the divine nature. You receive the divine life of God on the inside of you, which his life is able to produce health, abundance, wisdom, joy, peace. Everything that you need is on the inside of you because God, by, by his spirit, by Christ, comes to live in you. So he has made us possessors of his divine nature and his divine life through the new birth. When we receive Jesus, we receive a new birth. We're born from heaven. We are born of the spirit. We are born of God and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that he who has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him that means what belongs to him belongs to me the power that he has is available to me I'm a possessor of the life of God and I've been qualified through the blood of Jesus and the death of Jesus to not only be a possessor but be a partaker of the very divine life and nature of God I'm not waiting on him to give me something the New Testament reveals that we are that we study the word not to get God to give us something, but to discover what he's already given us in Christ. Through our union with Christ, we are possessors of everything that God has available to give us. Amen. Hallelujah. Most people don't understand that. When we are, I'll just use healing for an example. For when we're sick, we're praying, asking God to heal us. That's a religious doctrine. We are to appropriate by faith what God has already provided. But if you don't believe you have it, you're not going to be able to appropriate it. God has given man authority, which means he has given us the responsibility. And we are not trying to qualify ourselves by our religious life to get something God already qualified us for through what Jesus did. But most believers are trying to do that. Let me say this. God is not taking uh, our needs uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. Most people believe this. That when I have a need, I pray to God about it, and he decides. <laughs> I had that thought. I had that, I had that mindset. I thought when I pray, then now God's going to decide whether he will heal me or whether he's not going to. In fact, I've heard people say before, well, God said no. But this word declares in second. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 by his stripes you were healed what are you going to do with that that's in past tense <laughs> when was I healed when I received Christ <clears throat> by his stripes you were healed in Christ he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness but it's up to us now to respond in faith to what he has declared already belongs to us you know when a person gets saved when they hear the gospel they believe that Jesus died for their sins he was buried on the third day he rose from the dead proving that he accomplished what he came to do by his death do you know when a person believes that Jesus doesn't go to the cross again. 
They are partaking of something that has already been provided for them. God has provided it. They just reach out by their faith and they partake of what God has already done. So why when it comes to healing do we see? We never, nobody thinks that. Everybody knows that when you hear the gospel and you believe it and you confess Jesus as Lord, you're partaking of something he's already provided for you. But when it comes to healing, we shift gears. Oh, now suddenly we're trying to get God to do something. No, the healing is part and parcel. It's the same atonement. Jesus it's the same atonement. When he died for our sins, he took the stripes on his back for our healing. That's what the Bible declares. That's how he can say that he's already blessed us. He's already healed us. He has already done all of these things for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. And Jesus then, uh, in his life, he displayed... Um, how we're supposed to operate in earth. You know, Jesus, uh, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says that in him was life, and the life, you could say, that was in him was the light of men. What does light do? It reveals things. So the life that was in Jesus was the life of God. Okay? And so we know that Jesus revealed God to us. Listen, if you believe anything about God that you don't see in Jesus' life, then that's a false doctrine about God. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And most people get that. They understand Jesus shows us what the Father is like. But there's another aspect to that. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. Jesus also showed us who we were supposed to be before sin came into the world. He showed us what it looks like when a man is operating in the authority of God. For he spoke to storms and they calmed. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He cast out devils. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> he showed us what God always intended for us, that we would have full authority to subdue the enemy, have dominion, and rule on earth over all of the strategies, over all of the circumstances that the devil tries to bring against us. Amen? He showed us what that looked like. He showed us what a man operating under the authority of God on earth would look like. And so Jesus, how, did, how was he able to do this? Most people say, oh, well, he did it as God because he was God, right? He was able to do miracles. He was able to heal the sick because he was God in the flesh, right? That's what most people say. They think, oh, he was God, and he was doing miracles. Here's another doctrine. He was doing miracles to prove he was God. Most people will think that. That's absolutely not the truth. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says, You know how that God, listen to this. I'm taking it slow for a reason. You know how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is his human name. You know how that God anointed him. What's the anointing? It's the power of God. God put his power on Jesus. Now let me ask you this. Why would God put power on God? How that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God doesn't need an anointing. God is the anointing. God anointed, see, Jesus was God and man in one person, okay? But he set aside his God power, and he operated on earth purely as a man anointed by God. You know why he did that? So that he, because listen, if he had done those things as God, we couldn't do them. 
If he, done, if he had done those things as God, we couldn't duplicate the works that Jesus did on the earth. And Jesus said, whosoever believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. He did them as a man anointed with the Holy Ghost and power to show us who we, the things that we could do anointed by the Holy Ghost and with power. See, on earth, who has authority? Man. Man has authority. But now, by the Holy Ghost anointing us with the power of God, we not only have authority, but we have ability. <clears throat> and that's how Jesus operated. He operated as a man anointed by God. You know, it says he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Why would that say that if he was doing it as God? A man anointed. Here's the good news. Is that on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus went back to heaven, he poured his spirit out on all flesh. That means the same Holy Ghost and power that Jesus operated in when he healed the sick, cast out devils, raised the dead, cleansed the lepers is the same Holy Ghost and power that's available to the church if we would just wake up and realize the responsibility and the availability of the power of God, the investment that God has made in the church, we could do the same works that he did. In fact, he expects us to. Mm. You say, are you saying you can heal somebody? I can't heal anybody. But I have the authority to use the power of the one who can. No, in my own strength, I can't heal anybody. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. But guess what? If you're a born-again believer, you are not apart from him. You are united to him. You are anointed by him. You are indwelt by the very God who created the universe. Mm. Hallelujah. Jesus did the miracles that he did to show us what we were created to do. Amen? Hallelujah. So look at uh, Matthew chapter 10. While you're turning there, I'm going to have them put up John chapter 5 just for the sake of time because I have two minutes left. <laughs> Oh, y'all going to have to give me some extra time. <laughs> John chapter 5. You guys turn to Matthew 10, but I'm just going to show you what Jesus said about how he was able to do miracles. And they got it up on the screen there. <clears throat> I'm going to start with verse 26. I don't think they have it. It says, this is Jesus speaking. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority. I want you to look at this. Has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. It doesn't say because he's the Son of God. It says because he's the Son of Man. Oh, come on now. Why? Because God gave authority to man, which is exactly why Jesus had to become a man. Because only a man could redeem mankind on earth. Only a man could operate and destroy the works of the devil on earth. Did you know it would be illegal for God to come into the earth and destroy the works of the devil? Why? Because he would be breaking his own word. It would be illegal for God in his divine power to come and destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus became a man. Did you know before Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, which was when he was 30 years old, when he was baptized in the River Jordan, he's, it says the heavens open, 
And the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. That's when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many miracles he did before that event? Zero. <laughs> Why? Because he had not been anointed with the power of God yet. He was not operating in his own divine power. He didn't do any miracles until the Holy Spirit anointed him with the power of God. Amen? We getting that? So it was because he was the Son of Man. And listen, he didn't just intend, God didn't just intend for Jesus to operate in this power. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, it says he called the twelve to him. He called the twelve, the twelve disciples, to himself. <clears throat> and when he had called the twelve disciples to him, he gave them power. That word power there is actually the word authority. It's exousia in the Greek. And it's, so it says he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So this is the twelve. Look at verse uh, 7. And as you go, preach. This is him telling them. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's that mean? It means it's within your grasp. It's, it's at hand. It's here. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. If you notice, he didn't say, Go, and when you find a sick person, pray and ask God to heal them. Come on now. We're just being real here. He said, you heal the sick. Come on now. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out devils. He told them to do it. Let's take this for an example. They go to another town. Jesus is you know, back in Jerusalem. They go to Judea. They find a sick person. Hey, Go, somebody run and call Jesus. Have him come here. And when he gets there, they say, would you heal this person? We found a sick person. What do you think he would say? I'll tell you what he'd say. Because in Mark chapter 9, they couldn't heal a boy who was demonized. And he said, oh, you faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I bear with you? That tells me he expected them to do it. Why? Because authority is responsibility. That's what I want you to get today. Authority means responsibility. When you give someone authority, you have just given them the responsibility to carry out what you gave them authority to do. So not only did he expect, not only was it for Jesus, but he gave that to his 12 disciples. And we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Luke chapter 10, you can go read that later, those of you who are taking notes. Luke chapter 10, he, gives, he calls 70 disciples to himself and he gives them authority to do the same things and he sends them out, okay? So we got the 12, we got the 70. Now turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you don't want to be responsible for this, you better cover your ears. <laughs> That's what I said earlier at 9 o'clock. I said, the bad thing about preaching this is now I got to go do it. No, I want to go do it. In fact, you know, we've done it before. Seen, I've seen lots of miracles. But I have to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you because it won't help you for me not to be honest. I haven't seen as many in my life as of late as I used to see. And the reason is not because of God. It's not on his end. <laughs> I haven't been exercising my authority the way that God um, commanded me to. Okay? So I'm talking about me. You can take that however you want. <clears throat> but in Matthew chapter 16, we remember this story where Jesus was with his disciples. He said, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, you know, blah, 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 these different prophets and stuff. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Because listen, it don't matter what other people say about Jesus. It matters what you say about Jesus. He said, who do you say that I am? And he, Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus got all excited because he said, 
You didn't get that because somebody told you. You got that from my father. You got a revelation of who I am. And he was all excited about it. And then he says in verse 18, he says, And I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, the gates of hell, the power, the authority of hell is not supposed to be exercising authority over the church. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, you know, keys, let's think about this. Keys denote authority. You know, we just don't give anybody a key to this building. But people who oversee ministries say, uh, like I'm thinking about Patrick Drake, he started leading our men's ministry. And for him to have access to the building, to be able to do the things he's doing in men's ministry, we give him a key. We just gave him authority. Keys denote authority. But if you notice, Jesus didn't say, I give you the key to the kingdom. He said, I give you the keys of, I give you the keys of the kingdom. See, if he gave you the key, let's think of this like a hotel. If I gave you a key to the hotel, you could get through the front door and get in the lobby. But if I gave you the keys of the hotel, you could get in any room. That means you could open any door. You could shut any door. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about that there are things available in the kingdom of God. And if you have the keys of the kingdom, you can open things and you can shut things. That means you can forbid things and you can permit things. Why, I give you the authority to forbid the things that are forbidden in heaven. I give you the authority to loose the things that are loosed in heaven. I give you the authority to permit the things that that are permitted in heaven. In fact, uh, the Amplified Version says, I give, you a th- I give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth is what is already bound in heaven. Here's a key to authority. We can't just use that authority for anything we want. The authority he's given us is to execute his will on earth. Man, that is so good. Whatever we, here's the thing. Whatever we will allow to go on in our life, God's going to allow it. Whatever we forbid, God's got our back. Listen, what is forbidden in heaven? Well, I'll tell you this. There is no sickness. There is no disease. There are no disorders. There's no addiction. There's no lack. That means we can forbid those things in our life. But what is loosed in heaven? Life, peace, joy, health, abundance. All of these things are characteristic of what's in heaven those are what we're able to loose into our life and into the life of other people in fact it's our responsibility to do it and if it's going to get done the church is going to be the ones who have to do it Hmm. I figured that would go over about like that (laughs) Turn to Matthew 28. So there he's saying what he's going to do. Matthew chapter 28 and verse uh, 18. Jesus has already died, rose from the dead, and he's about to ascend back into heaven. And he's with his disciples. And this is what he says to them. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority, get this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he says, go, therefore. The word therefore means because of what I just said, you go. That is the transfer of authority 
when Jesus transferred his authority to the body of Christ. See, Jesus left, but Christ is still on the earth. We are the body of Christ. Christ is the anointing, the power of God. It's the, it's the life of God. Jesus left, but the anointing is still here. Just like in the story of Elijah. You remember the story? Here's the Old Testament picture of that. Elijah uh, had received a, a revelation from God that he was going to be taken by a chariot into heaven. And Elisha was following him. Elisha said, I want a double portion of your anointing. And he said, well, if you see me go, then you'll have it. And see, Elijah's anointing was symbolized by a mantle that he wore around his neck. I mean, he would use that thing to part the waters and stuff like that. And so Elisha was with him, and this chariot of fire comes down from heaven and takes Elijah and takes him to heaven. And Elisha's standing there watching him, and he looks up, and here comes the mantle falling down from heaven. And Elisha picks up the mantle, and he walks over to the river, and he goes, Where is the God of Elijah? And he strikes the water, and the waters part. See, the anointing, oh, my goodness, the same anointing that empowered Jesus to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, is the same anointing that fell from heaven on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled the upper room and 120 were baptized in the Holy Spirit and power. And it's the same Holy Spirit that's available to you today. The same power that Satan and the kingdom of darkness cannot stand against. But we're not using it. We're not exercising our authority and using that power that God has given us. And it's only because of our unbelief. It's only because of our unbelief or our apathy that we just don't see it as so important that we make it a priority. That's... We put other things above discovering what God has done to provide that for us. And in Mark 16, it's the same instance. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he goes on and says, and in my name, they will cast out devils. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. He goes on, in my name, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. See, the gospel's not supposed to be preached without demonstration. We're not supposed to just have a message, but we're supposed to preach the gospel and demonstrate it with sign, miracles, signs and wonders. You know, this is what uh, Peter and John did in Acts chapter 3. And I'm going to have to close, but Peter and John were on their way to pray at the temple, and they passed a man who laid there lame every day. And as they were coming in, he looked at them as if to receive from them. He was begging for alms, so he wanted money. And we need to, we need to look at how they responded. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have... I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand and lifted him up. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. And a great miracle was done. They didn't pray for him to walk. They didn't ask God anything. Peter said, such as I have. What, Peter had a revelation of the power and the authority that God had invested in him as a member of the body of Christ. And listen, he didn't even stop to ask God. He didn't even ask God. He had the nerve to not even stop and ask God, is it your will to heal this man? Why? Because God has already revealed his will in Christ Jesus. It's not a question. It's always God's will to heal. Well, he already did it in Christ. 
Hmm, I tell you what, I have an expectation. I have an expectation that before we leave this earth, we are going to see. Oh, my goodness, we are going to see. <laughs> we are going to see. I, we are going to, here's what it is. We've had in the past, we've had great ministries rise up where you have a man of God who work, operates in gifts and he's doing miracles and things. But I believe God is desiring, I know God is desiring the day that every believer every believer is going into all the world and preaching the gospel every believer is demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God the gospel is not meant to just be preached in church oh I'm taking some more time anyway because <laughs> I ain't finished yet the gospel is meant to be preached in the schools the gospel is meant to be preached in the marketplace. The gospel is meant to be preached on the job. The gospel is meant to be preached at the gas station. The gospel is meant to be preached at your kitchen table. The gospel is meant to be preached at a restaurant. The gospel is meant to be preached wherever there are people who are hurting, who are helpless, who are apart from God. The gospel is meant to be preached those places. And God has put that under our authority. When he said in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples, he gave us the responsibility. I'll close with this right here. Acts chapter 10. Peter uh, was sent to Cornelius' house. This was an Italian, a leader of a he was a centurion, a leader of men, military men. But the Bible says he was a devout man who feared God. And he gave much alms or money to the Jews to help them. He's a God-fearing man. And he was praying. And an angel appeared to him. An angel appeared to him and said, Call for one named Peter, who's in Joppa, and have him come to you. And he's going to deliver a message to you. So we know that Peter came and preached the gospel to them. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't the angel just give him the message? What? He didn't have the authority. It would be illegal. Why? God has given the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the body of Christ. An angel can't even convey the message. It's illegal. Why? Because God has declared he gave his authority to the church, to the body of Christ. So, listen, we are not, we're not supposed to, do you know you can't pray someone into the kingdom? Uh, look out now. You can pray. Listen, let's see. How did Jesus say to pray for the lost? He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers into the harvest for the, uh, the fields are already white for harvest, but the laborers are few. So the prayer is not about the lost. It's about the church. Oh, my goodness. The prayer is that the church should get off of their seat, <laughs> get out of the barn, and go into the field and preach the gospel and, and get the harvest that's already ready. People are, people are looking for help. They're looking for answers. And we have to decide. We have to get this settled. We have to quit looking for God to do what he created, what he told us to do. We got to quit expecting God to do what, we got to quit asking God to do what he told us to do. If we want to see uh, the move of God in our generation, then we're going to have to realize we are the move of God in our generation. If God's going to move, God doesn't move independent of the body of Christ. God moves through the body of Christ. 
So I'm going to leave you with this. You need to get in those verses that we looked at. You need to read those verses. You need to meditate on those verses. You need to convince your own heart that not these people, but you yourself. That's what I'm doing. I myself have been given the responsibility to preach the gospel and demonstrate the gospel with signs following so that people can believe and that people can come into the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and they can pass from spiritual death to spiritual life and their names can be written in heaven and they can join in what God is doing in the earth today. So listen, if you're here today, you've never received Jesus as Lord of your life. Listen, Jesus already did everything that needed to be done. There's nothing else to be done but for you to believe and to respond. The Bible says if you confess Jesus as Lord, you shall be saved. If you've not done that, I want to invite you to come up. We're going to have ministers up here. If you've not received the anointing of God, which is baptism of the Holy Spirit, how do I know I receive that? You speak with other tongues. If you have a need of healing in your body or something that you're dealing with, an addiction or some kind of disorder or something, there's going to be ministers up here who are authorized and empowered by God to help you deal with that so that you can walk out these doors free today before you leave this place. Don't forget, they're going to be up here, and not only are they going to be up here able, but they are wanting to minister to you today. Jesse's going to come and give us some, some announcements and close out the service. <clears throat>